0: Hi, this is Dr. Jane Battenberg, author of Change Within, Change the World. In this weekly podcast, I interview change makers who are at the cutting edge of new thought and consciousness awareness. Join me as we change within and change the world together. Today's guest will be speaking about the wisdom of the body. According to Frederick Nietzsche, there's more wisdom in your body than in your deepest philosophy. Our guest for today has written the book Riding Into Your Mythic Life about her work with horses and she's created a program called Riding Beyond to work with cancer survivors and their body connection to horses, which she has taken all over the world. Trish, it is great to have you on this show.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, Jane.
0: You're welcome. So, You work primarily with horses and humans, but you probably have a lot to say about body wisdom in general, which is the topic for today. Mm -hmm.
1: Yes, well, to me, horses have so much to teach uh, humans, and they have been doing that for millennia, uh, starting probably as a source of food, but... um, more familiarly, Uh, they've been our partners in farming and warfare and more recently in recreational uh, endeavors. But I've been for over 30 years involved in the therapeutic horsemanship tradition and been just amazed at what horses have to offer us now in our modern world, especially given the fact that we are facing climate change which is calling many of us to become better stewards of the earth and so horses have a lot to teach us about how to um, become stewards of the earth by making that deeper connection with horses that's not so much self-serving the human purposes as it is um, in engaging in a, a a true collaboration with horses and that that's where you come to body wisdom because horses don't talk They don't, at least they don't talk in the way that we do. And most people are very reliant on the spoken word. They're very reliant on their head brain, so to speak. Uh, Whereas horses, their way of communicating has almost nothing to do with talking. Um, not, Not completely nothing, but almost nothing because they're all about movement and body language and And this is part of their birthright over the centuries that allowed them to survive as prey animals, that they have extremely heightened uh, senses. Their ears uh, are always twitching about, picking up subtle sounds in the environment. Their eyes are placed on the, kind of more on the side of their head than ours so that they have a much wider peripheral um, vision they pick up things through their skin and literally you know just tiny things in the air uh, in the environment that they absolutely respond to instantly as as a herd the the herd is connected almost invisibly you might say energetically where the twitch of an ear by one herd member alerts the entire herd instantaneously and they respond as one being and so uh, when when one uh, you know the tradition has kind of been to dominate horses, really, uh, in a lot of ways in their initial training. And and horses, you know, they have a a, a tendency to uh, submit to domination. But you lose when you do that. You lose so much of the potent value that that interaction. And um, if instead you go about creating a conversation with a horse, then that requires, really, that the human becomes more in, first of all, heightening their own senses, that they learn to understand their own body language, that they learn to respond to intuitions, subtle uh, signals from their own body that they can express to the horse. And they can start not only expressing to the horse, but listening to the horse and responding to their Communications, which is just um, uh, it's a it's a delightful and revealing um encounter with horses to to learn to converse really with them.
0: So, can you give an example of how you've communicated with the horse uh, non-verbally? How you and what happened? Well,
1: I have lots of examples. Um, I think. For instance, um, just when I'm calling a horse to me, for instance, is what comes to mind. If I call the horse verbally, which I might do, but the the horse is probably not gonna respond until I give a body signal. And that, that body signal is a gesture with my arm and kind of turning my shoulder and looking away from the horse because looking directly at the horse is kind of challenging. But if I kind of look away and gesture and turn my shoulder a bit and kind of soften my my um, posture. Then that's very inviting to them, and they'll drop their head and they'll walk right over with a welcoming look on their about them.
0: And you, you uh, talked once about um, a horse uh, that you didn't know uh, leaning his head over the the stall, and and you clearly knew what he wanted. How can you talk about well, that?
1: That happens a lot i I know just a couple of weeks ago I was in uh, Houston teaching, and we were in the barn with a bunch of horses, and the stalls were designed so that the horses could put their heads out over the stall door and I was just aware that this one horse in particular we weren't actually weren't working with him. We were working with the horse next to him for um we were giving tests uh, to professionals, and this horse was just he was just clearly moving his head around, his ears, his eyes. I, and I, I couldn't help but uh, noticing that something was going on with him. And um, and so I just turned and focused on him for a moment and just received what he was saying. And it was just such a clear message about how about me? Uh, I'd love to get out of this stall. Um, pretty soon, uh, a lot of my buddies have already gone out to the pasture. Uh, it looks like what you're doing is pretty interesting. Come on over here and talk to me. I mean, it was those kinds of things that came to me in, in a fairly clear manner. Uh, you know, uh, and I think I'm not, I've never considered myself an animal communicator in the sense that some people can sort of go into a meditative state and receive those kinds of messages But this from was so but this obvious. Was, yeah, this was like I was reading this horse's body language and it's definitely a product of my having been around a lot of horses and and I personally think that probably anybody can be an animal communicator if they're willing to do the hard work of going into that meditative state which you know sometimes I can but most of the time I'm a kind of you know body let's get down and do it kind of person (laughs) and um so this it this this way is more my way of, of learning that communication with the horses. So
0: So what do you um suggest to people who want to access their own body wisdom or or connection with other bodies?
1: I think it's pay you know, pay attention to what feels good. Well, not everyone loves horses, but the ones who do, that's that's a great um, opportunity to explore. And I think, you know, the other thing I want to mention is that it has to do with tuning into your uh, your heart, uh, the, the um, whole nervous system that your heart offers. Some Some people just don't know how to do that, okay? They're all up in their head, and they may have been taught to do that in their profession, in their... You know, in their studies that, you know, emotions and issues of the heart were demeaned and, and told they were, they were taught not to pay attention to those sorts of things. And um, I think there's a lots of um, uh, wisdom out there now about how important uh, the heart knowledge is. And so that's one thing about horses, is that they have a large physical heart.
0: Yeah, I've heard that they have a a field. Well,
1: and we all have an energetic field around our heart, uh, which, you know, I suppose people have talked about it for a long time, but now they're able to scientifically measure that energy field. And so the human uh, heart field goes out about 10 or 15 feet around us. Mm. But for a horse, it goes out about 60 feet. Because they 60? have a larger heart, yeah. Whoa. And I find about ten years ago, maybe a little more, the Institute of Heart Math uh, participated in some research um, with horses, where they and and um, war veterans who were suffering from PTSD. The way the re- research was set up was that the veteran and the horse both had heart monitors on. And now the thing to know about the horse's heart field too, besides its size, is that it has a particular uh, characteristic about it. And if you just look at like a cardiogram, there's a particular pattern of of their heart rhythm that indicates a state of joy and calm and peace, which you know, you can kind of see that about horses. And that's reflected in their heart rhythm. Well, uh, veterans who have PTSD, do not have that coherent heart rhythm. It's called a coherent heart rhythm. And, and we don't either when we get anxious or afraid or whatever. Well, PTSD, there tends to be this persistent state of anxiety which is easily triggered. So the veterans in this research were invited to just come and stand near a horse, perhaps touch the horse, groom the horse, but engage, just be present with the horse for uh, uh, 20 to 30 minutes. And the researchers were able to measure in real time, uh, in about 15 to 20 minutes, that the veteran's heart rhythm and rate as well would entrain with the horses. Uh, They would become identical. And when that happened, uh, the veteran would experience this same state of peace and joy and calm that they had, in some cases, not experienced for years. And it was lasting. It didn't go away immediately. I mean, it it obviously wasn't in the same dissipated. intensity, yeah. but it had a very much of a lasting effect.
0: So when I had an experience, I went on a um, trail ride for a weekend mm-hmm. at the Wild Horse Sanctuary. And at the end of that, I came, when I came back, I realized that I was kind of blissful and I didn't, Mm-hmm. I didn't. Was that the horse's field, being in the horse's energetic well, I, field? I, for- I think you also have to credit,
1: you know, the other people, the other horses, the, the natural world that you're engaged in. It, it's part of, being, of, of connecting to all of that. Those of us who have a fascination with horses and have, you know, had the opportunity to just be with them have They have the opportunity to experience this. And I think that's, frankly, I think that's part of what attracts young people to horses is that they feel good around them. They, they give us this opportunity to become more acquainted with parts of ourselves. Because one of the reasons that horses are so effective in psychotherapeutic interventions with a psychotherapist is that uh, people with... Um, you know mental illness often are very incongruent in their way of being in the world they may pretend to be one way and but inside they're feeling something quite different and one of the things about horses is that their sense with their sensitivities that i've just mentioned they pick up on that as an incongruence and they feel uncomfortable in the presence of someone who is incongruent and they respond to that in different ways they might just walk away or they might become irritable or whatever but they respond and so that gives a psychotherapist uh, who's in partnership with a horse professional the opportunity to have really in-depth conversations about that the uh, response of a horse to a person's state of being is very profound for a person to be in that presence and to see that if they just make a, a slight a step or two in the direction of being more congruent you know in, in other words maybe just expressing their sorrow or their anger without acting on it a horse will turn around and come right back uh, and, and want to engage instantly and that's very powerful that's a and that's a body wisdom sort of experience for people to feel how that congruence is is um honored by the horse, that's, that's, um, so it, it becomes a very, once they start, a person becomes in tune to that, anybody, not just a, a client, then, then you start noticing, like if, you, you know, like you're too hurried, you come to the horse, and you're hurried one day, well, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna pick up on that, and, and it's like, uh, it's not about the horse, you know, the horse is gonna, maybe not want to, engaging it's not but it's not necessarily about the horse i mean it might be but you have to go inside check your check your own body see where you are at and really see okay i've been a little hurried take some breaths and just t- slow down <laughs> just uh talk to the horse about where you're at and and suddenly there's this amazing connection and harmony so yeah. Um you so it gives you the, working with horses gives you the opportunity to really, not just with, to work with your head brain and all its gifts, but the heart, as I'm just talking about the heart brain and then the gut brain too. So a horse has a big gut, they have a big heart, not such big head brain, <laughs> much smaller than ours. And so headwise, for thinking things through and that sort of thing, a horse often needs a little time to think something through a new concept a new request before they're going to act on it but they're they've got this heart brain and gut brain that's that's responsive much more responsive than we are and when we start engaging with them we we start learning more about ourselves we start noticing that we're attuned to our environment to other people in ways that we hadn't been before because we've started taking on our own body wisdom, our own body language, learning to be expressive with all of ourselves, not just our words and our ideas.
0: Well, you have a program called Writing Beyond. Yes. Um, and I think you have a lot of incredible st- um, stories about what's happened in those. Can you um, like talk about yeah, your program? Well, and-
1: Writing Beyond is um, a program that... I started about seven, almost eight years ago in response to the epidemic of breast cancer. In particular, the fact that women are released from treatment without any real preparation or understanding about the after effects of treatment, which for many women are quite um, extensive and they haven't been prepared for it. And so there are uh, some of them are physical after, after effects, but um, there are many others. Like for instance, they've generally learned to become somewhat reclusive. Mm-hmm. They don't want to. They don't want to be touched or to touch other people. They've pulled back from intimate relationships. There's a challenge to their sense of self-worth and who they are. Like, what does this huge event mean in my life? It calls into question their whole lives often and the purpose of their lives. And, you know, they're looking at their own mortality. They, they're, they're released from treatment with the idea that they can't be sure for at least five years, you know, so it's hanging over them. They, you know, they often have lost an intuitive sense of what their body needs and what they need because they have turned their well-being over to a medical team for a year or two.
0: And they feel like their body has has abandoned them or or let them down in some way, maybe.
1: That's that's a possibility. Uh, it, sometimes, more the the point I was getting to with with what I just said was more that they they are released from treatment and they feel abandoned by the medical profession uh. in a certain way because they and they don't know how to get back in touch of the, with their own intuitive sense of what they need and so working with horses we have the women say this over and over again that it restores that intuitive sense to be around horses and it's not about riding them even though it says riding beyond it's really beyond riding I guess I'd say (laughs) and um, because I'd say about half of the women don't ever get on the horse they don't really want to or it's not appropriate for some reason but they still have that same experience of, of so many of these issues that I just mentioned being attended to in a profound way. And it's really all about the relationship with the horse, that they can touch that horse, you know, touching intimately another being for the first time in a while, and then have the horse respond back to them. Horses, i found over and over, especially mares, but even the geldings, who are castrated males, uh, they they are compassionate. And people will say that, oh my gosh, this horse seems so compassionate. And they do, they respond with compassion. And, you know, often people think, oh, you know, it's just because they smell some food on me, or they're looking for some food. And it's like, for them to learn that this horse is responding to something much more uh, profound and essential to them than their food-bearing capacity <laughs> so is, I've, I've is heard, a revelation. You I've, know,
0: I've heard the horse will come up and put um, its head or its muzzle or whatever. Yeah. Well, sometimes At, I mean in a they, certain place in. Yeah, their life we've learned
1: to uh, to hold the space so that each interaction is completely different. Sometimes, uh, Mystic, in particular, she'll. Misty is a, your horse. She's one of my horses yeah. and uh, who participates in the program. She's a little more expressive than most of the horses. Uh, and so she'll do something unique to each person, and we just really hold the space for that to unfold.
0: Like, for example. And, and
1: she will sometimes, uh, even with our first client, for instance, which is, was the first eye-opening experience, uh, She was, this first client was actually someone who had not completed treatment, uh, since then, we, uh, do, uh, we do require that people finish treatment. But she was in, in between uh, chemotherapy and radiation. And uh, she decided to take a few weeks off to recover. And she was actually a little afraid of horses, but she was curious. So after our first get acquainted, about tw- 15, 20 minutes in a circle of women, she went over to greet mystic and it's really a simple activity of approaching the horse with a horse's invitation like they're looking at you and you know you can see that curiosity and you know reaching out your hand towards the horse's muzzle as the horse reaches towards you that it's a mutual greeting And so, you know, it just takes a couple of minutes usually. And so, but instantly, uh, Mystic did something that I had never seen her do before. She, as soon as she touched this woman's hand, she stepped forward and started nuzzling her solar plexus area, Mm. nuzzling rapidly and gently. And I had never seen her do anything close to that before. And so I was on guard that maybe she was going to bite her. Uh, I was also amazed that this woman didn't step away because I think even I would have stepped away if she had come up <laughs> and started nuzzling my solar plexus. And, um, and it just went on and on for many seconds until uh, 30, 45 seconds or so. I just couldn't stand it anymore, and I put my hand on Mystic's chest. She stepped back, and this woman said, that's where my tumor is. She went right to where my tumor is. And she was in tears. We were all in tears. It was so moving. And she said that the reason she hadn't stepped away... Was that she had felt this amazing energy pouring into her from this horse, and she just wanted more and more of it, and and she will even say to this day that that was a life changing experience. And and what it was about is another profound piece of what horses offer, and really, it's I think it's a part of body wisdom as well, is is taking in these archetypal presences that. Um, Mystic became her permanent companion. She said that the next week, that Mystic was, was with her, at her side, in her imagination. And, and, and it was a very powerful presence that came to her when she was sad, when she was um, depressed, when she was happy. She, she was also um, dealing with the death a few months before of one of her adult daughters. So she had a double burden. And she said that having this horse as a companion just blew her away. She had no, she, she said, I have no idea a horse could do that, and, <laughs> and sort of in a way, I was thinking, yeah, I didn't either, you know? <laughs> but it made sense, you know, and wow. um, and so that's part of that's part of the power of it is taking is recognizing that you can carry in your body, really, these archetypal presences that enhance your your experience, that in this case gave her an empowering companion through this uh, diff- very difficult journey that, that, that just was um, just by her side whenever she needed something. I mean, she had a very supportive family and so forth, but there was nothing like this horse. And um, so... Uh, you know, when we start being aware of that, of the power of you know the uh, our, you know, our uh, kinesthetic imagination, you know, our what we can, uh, what that can offer us, then you know, to me, that's a part of the body wisdom as well that we can start trusting trusting our body wisdom that we're that we're drawing on all parts of ourselves and our larger self
0: you know so Mm. wow so any other um uh, connection stories between participants oh i got Um, lots of them
1: but um i don't know what do you think your listeners would enjoy hearing about like
0: so say somebody's um, afraid of a horse, and and then the horse comes up, and then there's this. Yeah. What do Yeah. Well, um, you know, I think if someone's interested
1: in exploring this, they first of all should do it with a professional who understands uh, these these uh, di- possible dynamics, because a lot of professional horse people don't. They're all about training the horse to perform and be obedient, uh, but there definitely is an increasing uh, trend in that direction. So someone who is attending to this because the fact is any being of power can uh, create a safety hazard for a person um and so you have to be like for instance it's important that a person when they're around a horse that they're able to set boundaries so that the horse because the horse can come up and in, in a friendly way nudge into you and knock you over okay and or they're not on doing it or or they, <laughs> yeah 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 like happened to me recently but um or they can, they can be out of enthusiasm, come rushing up. Or they can actually be, you know, just like anybody, they can be angry and aggressive. And what are you going to do about that? So, um, you know, it's about setting your boundaries uh, with your voice and your body. And like, you know, so you want to... Uh, so
0: that's a good tool for life. Yeah, totally. To set your boundaries. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Learning to set your boundaries with more than your voice. You know, I like how you just express it down to your toes, down to your essential being. And horses are really good at teaching that because they're very responsive to it. So, anyway, for someone who who's intrigued with this, I, I, they definitely should be uh, in the company of someone who is, is a professional, um, knows, knows how to make it safe. Okay, because yes. it, it can absolutely be safe. It's just like driving a car. It can be done safely or not safely. And, um, and then it's, it's quite thrilling to start experiencing this other way of being in the world with a horse that spills over into your way of being with all of nature, with other people, with people from other cultures who don't communicate in the way that you do. You start finding common ways of communication because of this work with horses. And it, you know, I, I I personally believe that, you know, it's it, over the years it's taught me to be attuned to things that are going on with friends and family that are at a distance that I might not even know about. Oh, you know, yes, and 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 that's totally it. it definitely comes through as a body sensation that I don't necessarily know what the heck is going on
0: or where it's coming from or where it's
1: coming from. But then over you know pretty soon, I start getting. The information you know. Recently, my ex brother-in-law died. I really, I mean, I knew he'd been just he'd been aging, but not ill. Got in the car that morning to go teach a class, and I started experiencing extreme vertigo, and I had no idea what it was about. But my sister called me the next day, and she she told me that when that when that he'd had a stroke, and then when he actually died was right then at that time. When I was getting in the car, and I started experiencing this vertigo, that was when he passed, mm. and um, so I, I t- just knew in my body that that's what I had tuned into. You know, I, I
0: had an experience of that um, when my husband at the time um, was killed in a snowmobile accident, and uh, before he was killed, because I think he um, he he hit a he was on ski patrol and he hit a rope going across and it on the snowmobile and it caught his neck so before that the week before I kept thinking as I was driving down the highway that I was going to slam into the car in front of me and then I'd blink and the car was way down the road and I kept thinking I was going to slam into something so you're having a prescient
1: vision of it yeah interesting yeah well I I mean i I personally feel like my work with horses has attuned me to that sort of thing and um, I'm sure there are other ways that people become attuned to that, but that's my favorite way, is working with horses. And, it, and it's offered that to other people too, I
0: know. So I, just to change topics a little bit, when we first started, you connected horses with climate change, and I thought, really? How can that be? Uh-huh. Well, because climate change is asking us, as a human
1: race, to attend to the environment okay? Ugh. And we're, we tend to be isolated from the environment. we You know, we live in houses that protect us and, um, you know, all kinds of ways that we tend to separate ourselves from the environment. Um, I think indigenous peoples have always had a much more wise connection with the natural world. Well, many of us have lost that. And learning to connect with a horse in this respectful collaborative relationship is a is one step towards um taking that relationship to all of the natural world horses unlike dogs and cats who are pets they have never become pets in general they they still live on that sort of borderline between human habitation Mm -hmm. and the natural world Uh, their their need to be out in fields and the open spaces so they they they're sort of bridge beings in my way way of thinking you know helping us to connect with that larger natural world that is calling for our attention so poignantly and um you know giving us a way to notice and become attuned to it
0: Mm. So um do you have a website or um ways that people can Yeah there's there's a couple of websites uh
1: writingbeyond.org can is the website for that work with uh cancer survivors uh, providing them revitalization and restoring them. The other one is just my name com, which um some people might need a little help in spelling that Dutch name but it's a T-R-I-S-H-B-R-O-E-R-S-M-A dot com. And that's uh, that's my personal website.
0: Oh, good. So, um, and you wrote a book called Riding Into Your Mythic Life. Mm-hmm. Now, that's intriguing because riding? Mythic? Yeah, well,
1: and the subtitle is uh, Trans- uh, Transformational Adventures with the Horse. It, it has to do with the power of stories, and how the story we tell ourselves um, makes a big difference, and that's the mythic aspect of it. It comes out of, initially, out of work I did with a residential treatment center with at-risk teenagers for several years, where they spent once a week in the summer uh, with the horses, uh, where we would explore this mythic connection that the human race has uh, with horses, but in in their case, it was primarily to show them that the difficulties that they were having as teenagers that had landed them there in the treatment center uh, could be seen as a part of their their larger mythic life, their own hero's journey, you might say. Ooh. That that these things um, that you know the, the the difficulties with their family uh, with you know all kinds of things, could be seen as part of some call to adventure that they're experiencing. Or maybe it's part of their road of trials and adventures along the way. But for them to sort of reconfigure uh, looking at their life from that larger perspective and to see that a horse could be an empowering companion. Because, you know, in in many, if not most, of the great stories, there's a horse in there somewhere, Who's uh, e- either with the bad guys or the good guys or both, and um, and but they're empowering, and so we give them the opportunity to take on that empowering companionship, and to uh, understand how they they are living a mythic life if they open their eyes to it, and and so after that was what the content of the book was based on, but after I. Was doing that work for a number of years. I expanded to working with anybody in transition, women, men, and that's what took me uh, to other parts of the world. You know, but I—it's—it's it's a practical book um, with exercises that you can do either with a real horse or in your imagination, and gets into quantum physics and all kinds of things. So,
0: <laughs> wow, yeah. So back to the uh, the teenagers at risk. Um, did it have an ultimate effect on their larger life? Oh or well, um, any that you, you know. I, I, in some,
1: I often I haven't actually worked with them in fifteen right. years, I guess, and so I've often wondered where they've gone with it. But um, what I know is that the residential treatment center—they were actually initially very, very reluctant to. Uh, take our basically free offer because one of our board members had raised the funding for it, mm. but they still just didn't want to do it. I'm not sure why. Well, I think they thought we wanted them to pay for it. But anyway, um, once we got started, they like they couldn't get enough of it. And you know, we did that for seven they, years. The, the the facility because they said that though the 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 their residents who came to the horse program they called it a horse camp um, <laughs> um, were so much. Uh, accelerated in their participation in the program they they said it was extremely noticeable first of all they they were just more engaged more enthusiastic they just healed faster they they got the program that they were offering it the way they talked about it was that it enhanced the therapy that they were doing with them uh, so much more and they and they um, you know they said they Attended to the house cats, you know the cats that lived on, and I think maybe they had a dog. They said their their um, attentiveness to those animals was dramatically different. They said, and so they they were very enthusiastic about it. In fact, and in fact, one of the we always required that a staff person come with them and stay there in case something came up, because there were uh, there were ten that we had a group of ten that would come, so it was it was a good sized group. But anyway, the uh, uh, one of the uh, counselors who came, he said, "This has changed my life as much as oh. it has the the <laughs> kids I brought." <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so it, it was. That's what horses can do, you know, to people is change their lives in good ways like that. So
0: mm. amazing. Mm-hmm. If they want your your book, is
1: it on Amazon? Or yeah, it's on Amazon. Uh-huh. Just plug like- in my name or writing into your mythic life
0: by Trish Broersma mm-hmm yeah so we its have, readily
1: available in paperback it's not out in hardcover anymore but
0: so we have a few more minutes is there anything that you would like to um, conclude with
1: well you know I love the title of your book uh, change within change the world because <laughs> I, I really feel that that's um, the essence of what that the Horse-Human Connection can offer us a really beneficial new world. So thank you for
0: getting the word out, Jane. Well, thank you. (laughs) Well, it's great to have you on the show. I hope you've enjoyed this interview with Trish Broersma on the Wisdom of the Body. So you don't miss any of our shows, make sure you subscribe to podcast.changewithin.com or click the subscribe button below. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Jane Battenberg.